hey, the workforce is changing out there every single day, not just in supply chain and logistics, but in industries all over the, the you know, all over the globe. So the question is, is if there's a great disruption like this, does that mean hybrid workplace is here to stay? I believe so. And I'm going to give you seven reasons why I think that. It's something that I like to call the messy middle. My name is Chris Joslin, and welcome to Jaws Bites. So welcome once again, everybody. My name is Chris Johnson, your host as always for this edition of Jaws Bites. As mentioned in the preamble, I think what I'd like to talk to you about just for a bit today is what is being called by many the great disruption. I mean, we've, we've talked about this, this idea of, of rejuvenating our working population in a way that, uh, that many, many people are, are uh, moving out of the workforce temporarily and finding new positions to take for a variety of reasons. And I thought I'd just hit on seven quick uh, bits of analysis that I saw in a article that I read most recently, put together primarily by Microsoft in, a, in an indicator of what they thought 2021 and beyond would start to look like. What they like to call is the great disruption, like a, what I like to call is kind of the messy middle. And what I mean by that is we go from a place where we all worked from an office kind of situation uh, around the cooler, doing the things we've done for a whole lot of years with the social interaction and the complexity and the, the communication distribution that we've had as, as humans and individuals for a very long time in terms of, of uh, workplace environments to something for over the last year and a half where we've all been at home doing what we can very digitally in a different kind of way and in somewhat of an exhausting way uh, to take on a new and evaluate how we converse with one another, how we collaborate with other, one another, and how we distribute information and innovate in a way that is more complex than it used to be. So we'll want to talk about that for just a few minutes today. And uh, in doing that, I think, I think it's important to recognize, first of all, Guys, as always, we're we're uh, sponsored by iLevelLogistics.com, which will be coming across your screen right about now. iLevelLogistics.com, a place that we are putting together and have put together for quite some time as an aggregate, a curation site to enable you as a transportation logistics professional to come to and spend a very little amount of time per day taking a look at either something like this that goes on YouTube, on one of the YouTube channels, on the... the, uh, the um, podcasting platforms or right on the site itself become a member of our of our subscribe to us and become them it's free and you'll be, get a daily email that gives you a whole bunch of things that are happening both in the industry and around the industry because the supply chain um, logistics industry has so many tangential things that are attached to it that are associated with it Every single day, you can look at an article that you may think has nothing to do with supply chain industry in the United States and worldwide. And sure enough, it is attached somehow, some way, shape, some shape to the industry as a whole 
and can give you a way to look at something in a more mainstream view. The industry is doing nothing but growing. It's one of the most important things out there as far as getting products and services in the hands of the consumers that want and in, in need those things, whether it's infrastructural distribution of, of energy, whether it's something that's coming from overseas and, and the complexity of the, of the uh, uh, steamship lines industry, the fact that our world has grown smaller and smaller. All these things are very important to the discussions we have on podcasts like this. So let's let's get into this a bit because the future of work is here and it's probably hybrid. Not probably, most likely is hybrid. There are certainly industries that require people to be at facilities, at workstations, at places, at yards, especially in the in uh, in, in the uh, transportation industry. Ports cannot run with people that are not there to run the ports, right? And truckers cannot, at this point at least, trucks cannot be driven without a trucker, a driver, a CDL driver behind the wheel. So these things are very important, but overall workplaces in general are here to stay as a hybrid scenario. So let's unpack that a little bit because there's there's seven kind of elements that that kind of produce this new messy middle. And again, to go back to that, the messy middle is that that hybrid scenario. It's it's not all office. It's not all home, though there are many people that look at this and, and try to dissuade or, or persuade one another that one of those should be the ultimate uh, way of working. Uh, hybrid is most likely what we're looking at. So there are kind of seven hybrid work trends that kind of every business leader should be thinking about these days. Small business, large business, doesn't even matter. And one is flexibility of work is here to stay. You know, the CEO of Microsoft, Satya Nadella, put something out the other day, this little quotes from from the, the CEO of Microsoft. Over the past year, no one has undergone more rapid transformation than than the way that we work. Employee expectations are changing and we need to define productivity much more broadly inclusive of collaboration, learning and well-being to drive a career advancement for every worker, including frontline and knowledge workers. That's a combination of things that that, that person is trying to, to say, but as well as for new graduates and those that are in the workforce today. All this needs to be done with flexibility in where, when, and how people work. That means hybrid. That's exactly what that means. And there's, there's certainly no doubt that that is the trend that we're the direction we are headed in. So having said that, um, the first of the seven is flexibility is here to stay. So we need to indoctrinate that into the kind of thinking that we have as we're trying to lead teams, <clears throat> manage workers, get more complex with the way we communicate and more precise with what we're trying to get done during a day for the business. Because at the end of the day, that's, that's really what it's about. And the, the, you know, about 42% of all employees that, that worked for home for the last year, you know, part of this is they have, there have been a complaint that there's been very little flexibility in the supplies and needs that, that businesses have given to those workers. So there needs to be a reevaluation of how inclusive the technologies needed, the, the paraphernalia that an office environment offered in the past has not been given to, to boosting the productivity and the feelings of inclusion that these employees would have. But in a, in a study done by Microsoft uh, through, I think it was January 
of 2021 to, to it was all of January of 2021. These this was across a pretty broad spectrum of 31 different markets that uh, were available for this this constructing this this analysis. But you can you can see by looking at this that uh, business leaders uh, are on the brink of major changes to accommodate what employees want. <clears throat> kind of the best of all worlds, that hybrid thing that we're talking about. 66% of leaders say their companies are considering some kind of redesign, right? 73% uh, of the employees say they want some kind of flexibility to work remote and have options. And 67% they said they want more in-person or collaborative post-pandemic. The answer to that, is, since you're talking about 73%, wanting remote flexibility, and 67% wanting more collaboration defines the need for hybrid. The second thing to think about are how in touch are the leaders with the employees today? Is there a wake-up call needed? Is there something that leaders need to do to recognize that their employees are in a different context? They're in a different grouping, if you will, of how they're looking at both the business itself for the future and their current situation. And, and, you know, the suggestion through this, this article that I've gone through is that most business leaders are faring significantly better than their employees themselves. Some 20 odd points higher than the general employeeship um, that, that would be recognized through an analysis like this. So when you look at the, the, graph that can't come in across your screen right now or is on your screen right now, you can see that the business leaders themselves, and these are, these are primarily, um, you know, when, the, when this was looked at, they were primarily male, Gen X, information workers, people that are further along in their industry careers, et cetera. But nearly two thirds said they were thriving versus just surviving or struggling. Nearly two-thirds, 61% compared to the 39%. The rest of these categories, though there is some incremental differences between them, but the married, working moms, Gen Z, frontline, new new employees, and even single, and down to the frontline workers, new employees, and single, it was basically the flipped opposite of that. Two-thirds of the workers were basically barely surviving or struggling compared to thriving in this, in this new environment. And what I mean by the new environment is I mean this, this kind of digital interface, uh, hybrid, not hybrid, but at home working kind of scenario. So that is a very good indicator of the, the simple fact that leaders are kind of not in touch. If you, you can't be fully in touch, you can't empathize with a group of people that, that you're supposed to be leading and managing if you don't know what they're going through. And this illustrates something like that. Now, the the next of the seven, the third of the seven, is this idea that hybrid productivity has been recognized through the more efficient use of your workday by staying at home through this pandemic. There's been many studies you can go out there and look at that, that say there's been very high productivity overall on the measurables, the KPIs, the key performance indicators that, that businesses look at. Now, but is it masking something is the, is the question that was asked through this article. And the question that was asked is really, is it masking workforce exhaustion, if you will? Now, I would contend that the huge volume, the flood, the additional volume of, of emails that go on in, in meetings on some video 
chat of some kind or another, group meetings or otherwise, small, large, etc., contribute to the digital exhaustion that they're talking about in this new messy middle that, that we're talking about today. The question really becomes, though, is that a physical or a mental exhaustion? Is it a combination of those? What is it really driver behind that? And I think most of that driver is a, from my perspective at least, a, a recognition that we are social animals. And I don't mean social media animals. I mean social animals, those that need personal interconnectivity to define and become more efficient in how we do things, whether it's from a personal standpoint or a business standpoint. I think that that, that it's, it's necessary to recognize that when you're on you know, Teams or, or some kind of video conference meeting for 35, 45 minutes every single day with multiple people and you can't get words in edgewise and you, do, you, don't, you don't see what's going on when you have a 60% increase in your overall emails that come in documented by some of this, this information that I've gone over today. Uh, it's, it's unstructured. It's a barrage. It's people working through so much more paperwork than they used to without physical cues, without context, without, you know, um, of the, in the body language, uh, you know, from personal interaction around the water cooler in the office as it has been for the last hundred years or on a, a video stream. So it's important to recognize that. And, and, you know, the, the overall digital overload that we're talking about is real and it's, and it's climbing and it's not going to go away as whether it's hybrid or not. The, the statistics that you can see on the screen here, you know, is that there's about a, almost a 150% increase in the amount of time for meetings or chats sent by a person every day. And, and the 66, though the other end of that, and you can look this over, there's huge amount more emails, huge amount more chats. But the thing that really got me when I looked over these statistics was 66% or two thirds more document work. Now, whether that's because we're trying to have more CYA scenarios coming up, uh, or, you know, whether that's because we're, we're trying to overanalyze everything because we're at a distance, we can't get that interpersonal feel. So instead of kind of recognizing intuitively what we need to do, we see something different. My personal belief is that the whiteboard strategy, teamwork strategy, large meeting condensed with certain agendas is way better than some of the digital stuff that's going on today. And that, you know, there's a, um, there's a, there's a gal who founded this, this company called digital wellness. And she talks a lot about this. Her name's Mary, Dr. Mary Donahue. And, and, you know, just to, to review it real quick, she's basically kind of more in the camp that I am in terms of physical versus mental, uh, challenges with, with this kind of thing, burnout, if you will, and, and seeing what's, what's going on and basically saying the exhaustion we're feeling really can't be, or can be blamed on the speed and urgency of virtual work in comparison to what we're, we're used to. In-person communication gives you your brain a chance to assess things like tone and social cues and body language. And, you know, it, it creates a different meaning. It creates a different way for us to efficiently process things. Technology can create some of these static issues, but there's a gap between trying to communicate online 
in what a person's message is in what you're actually receiving that creates a different kind of fatigue that I don't think the workforce is used to. And that will change as, as this hybrid situation suggests. But, you know, people need downtime. Now, it used to be that I would tell my wife when I came home that I used the 45 minutes or an hour or whatever it happened to be in Southern California here to decompress on the way home. And there was some truth in that. Listening to something mindless on the radio or a podcast on something or, or a sports channel or whatever you happen to like is a way to decompress and get yourself home in a different state of mind, if you will. Well, if you're at home all the time, guess what? That's not happening. And I'm not suggesting that you should suddenly spend $4.50 a gallon as it is out here in California right now to start commuting again all the time. But there, there are things that are set up and patterns that the human mind goes through that allows us to compartmentalize. And that was one of them. The, the, uh, the fourth of the seven is that there's an entire generation that a lot of people feel is really at risk right now in, in of a need to be re-energized. And that's Gen Z's. Gen Z's, um, they, <clears throat> the statistics based on this analysis, at least, is that 60% of this generation, that's between the age of 18 and 25, uh, say they're seriously just surviving or flat out struggling. And this is the generation that's most likely to be single early in a career. And, and there's this feeling of impact of isolation and struggle and motivation and work and lack of financial means to create any kind of proper workplace at home. So there needs to be a different type of thinking or assist that, that helps create this, a better network for that generation. Now, statistically, you can, you know, there's a, a chart that you probably see coming across your screen right now that talks about boomers, Gen X, millennials, and Gen Z and how Gen Z is much more likely to say that they are struggling than older generations on these specific aspects of work. And these struggling aspects of work that they're that the Gen Z specifically are talking about are, are being able to bring new ideas to the table. It's hard to do when you're completely remote. You know, you, you can't feel involved the same way. Getting a word in during a conference call or a meeting, which kind of was a problem when things were were in place, but again, going back to the social cues that this Mary Donahue mentioned a, a moment ago, when you're in a in a big room and everybody knew all you know, the, the boomers, Gen X, millennials, and Gen Zs are all in a room together, and you know certainly there's a who's a new person, who's got some seniority, and who likes to talk and who doesn't. There's but there's also social cues and understanding so that you can go around the room and have an opportunity for everybody to participate more. Gen Z is the one most likely to say that they're getting not a word in edgewise. And the other part is that they're not feeling engaged or excited about work. Ultimately, if you want workers to work and you want uh, your business to thrive and not just survive, but to thrive, then you need people that are excited about working for whatever your vision and your mission is. So from the boomer side, you're looking at maybe 30% overall in one of those three categories. In total, 30% of those people that don't feel engaged. Well, as opposed to a Gen Zer, which is almost 50%. That is a very substantial difference, especially considering the boomers on the retirement side and Gen Zers are what's eventually going to take over the, the businesses that you're involved with now. So that is a very important aspect of this. Number five out of seven is 
there are shrinking networks that are endangering really what is, in my opinion, the lifeblood of business in general, and that's innovation. You know, you can, if you have a, a niche business and it's, it's not commoditized and you do something that very other few people do, then you can ride that for a very, very long time. But most companies, most businesses are not like that. They need to be on the cutting edge. They need to be ready and prepared and understanding of their, of their overall business environment, both geographically, locally, regionally, nationally, et cetera. And they need to be prepared to be flexible to change with with the times, to understand where costs are and where markets are and how things are changing dynamically. And that means innovation. That means that people must get together and collaborate in a way that provides innovation. And one of the things that this staying at home has done and that hopefully a more flexible, messy middle that we're talking about will give more advantage to is to stop the siloing of the digital work that's being done. And what I mean by that is that we have a kind of a a personal echo chamber. Business leadership management is is very much the same way. They they have a certain amount of tenure with their business. They have a certain amount of of a size of a network, both internal to the company they work for and external to the company that they look at and they lean on for expertise, understanding, direction, collaboration, all those kinds of things. This new world we lived in for the last year and a half where everybody's working at home has narrowed that, has siloed that, has created, like I said a moment ago, an echo chamber or or a reverberation of that and really has what I like to think of as narrow catching. You hear, you've heard of narrow, narrow, um, excuse me, narrow casting where you're sending out basically informational communicational signals, whether it's a media or something else to a narrow group of people because you're getting a feedback loop that provides whatever that business needs. Well, that's kind of what people do in general as well. So if I'm collaborating with something, somebody that that agrees with me most of the time, understands and maybe we can tweak stuff back and forth, I have a better innovative relationship with those people. And I'm more likely to continue to go back to those. Well, that takes out of the equation a lot of expertise that your company or your wider network in general has has given you in the past. And statistically, the, the video conferences and chats and things like that will actually show, as you see on this screen, that there is a, a siloing of the digital work world. If, in, and it has created, these distance networks have created a less expansive way to meet. Now, earlier we talked about too many meetings and not enough conversation with those meetings with those involved. But what ends up happening is if you have a meeting with 50 people and 25 participate, well, what happens over time is you're going to only call those 25 people to the, to the meeting or 10 or five or whatever the number is. Thus, what you end up with is a collaborative effort that may be more focused at times. There may be some advantages to that, but the disadvantage is you're not getting a full <clears throat> read on the opportunities that are actually there. So, and so number um, number six in this out of the seven that we're going to talk about today is really about authenticity. It's about humanizing the workplace. 
over the course of the last year, I have heard 50 different dogs barking in the background of meetings and collaborations that I've been on, on video conferences, audio conferences, etc. Now, while this initially seemed like a distracting kind of thing, what ended up happening, at least from my perspective, and also I think from the perspective of some of the business leaders that are looking at moving into a hybrid <coughs> kind of situation, is that the it, it humanized the contact. You know, I, I used to go to somebody's office and have a meeting. I used to have large meetings in my conference room. I used to think that I knew the people that I employed really pretty well. And the reality is, is I didn't know whether they had a dog, a cat, or kids a lot of the time. Now that's on me. That's my fault. But I recognize that there's a lack of, of authenticity. There's a lack of, of feeling that that business is actually there, not just to make a profit. You know, there's, there's lots of people that put in their mission states statements, and I've been one of them in the past as well. People before profits. Right. It's, it's part of the kind of the mantra because I like to to grow my business by growing the people that that work with me. You know, that sounds like a platitude, but it is something that's on my mind and on a lot of people's minds. And one of the ways that they have been able to be more authentic and navigate the unprecedented stress that they've had to go through by working from home for the last year and a half or, or thereabouts is by humanizing the people they were with. Now, this chart actually, it was an interesting one, and I didn't know if it applied as well to the business, but it actually talked about how people interacted with one another as much as actually crying together about certain things. And I won't get into what those things are, but but the chart, as you can see it coming across the screen here, basically said that one in every six people that communicated in an individual chat, if you will, ended up talking about their education, travel and tourism they used to go on, whether there was a healthcare situation, interpersonal stuff. And ended up sharing a tear or two or a hug or two online, a virtual hug or two online, based on trying to create non-intentionally. This is a, an unintended, probably positive consequence of more authenticity with the people that, that they were dealing with prior to this pandemic. And it could change culturally the workplace much better for people, especially as we move into a hybrid world. And the other thing, and the last thing of these seven that I want to talk about today is that talent is literally everywhere. <clears throat> In the past, you would hire people. You would take a look at their talents as any good coach would and try to build a system around the talents of those people that you have available to you. Use those talents for the betterment of your company, the betterment of those people, the betterment of yourself. All those kinds of things would be part of the plan. But now what we have uh, pointing, pointing right at us every single day is that there's much more talent out there. We talk about the recalibration, the redistribution uh, of the workplace, people quitting everywhere and getting new jobs. and looking. Now, there's an economic part of that that I've talked about in other podcasts that I don't want to gloss over. Ultimately, a lot of these things we talked about in terms of people thinking about their workplace, building a life versus a living kind of thing, all, all those kinds of things that we've talked about in the past usually come down to an economic situation. When the price is right 
and you're able to move from one job to another because of supply and demand economics that, that are part of what we talk about today, then you decide to take a risk or not based on your own personal risk tolerance, based on your own personal situation, based on your network, based on what type of jobs you have, based on the flexibility you have, the world we live, the technologies available to us. So those are all part of the equation. But the point that I'm trying to make with this, this, this seventh item is that talent is literally everywhere. So part of this, this big recalibration that's going on in terms of workplace is due to the fact that myself, Others that are business leaders, managers, et cetera, now have access in a different way, a, a more ubiquitous way of talent that is out there. On a contractor level, on a personnel level, they can see, based on the technologies that are out there, the vast talent marketplace that is available to them. Whether you're getting it from, from some a platform like LinkedIn or one of the other social media platforms, or whether you're connecting socially or, or um, um Business-wise with these folks, the analysis um, in the, the, <clears throat> the graph that you see on your screen right now is that remote opportunities simply mean more attraction to a diverse number of applications. So whether it's remote or hybrid, if somebody is willing to, to uh, geographically locate that somewhere different than the offices were in the past, there's going to be opportunities for them that weren't there before. There are going to be people that work for a company now that come into an office and those that never come in at all. And if they never come in at all, now instead of the pool of people you have in your small city or whatever the case may be, is you can have that pool of talent all around the world. Uh, and and that's that's been there for a while on different platforms where you could outhire certain elements of what you needed to do Starting a website, IT stuff is specifically designed with that kind of thing in mind. But <clears throat> ultimately, you can see from this, though, that the on, on LinkedIn, women, Gen Z, and those without graduate degrees were the ones most likely to apply for these remote positions. And that's a huge pool of very, very talented people that may be better for your company and what your company is trying to do than some of the people you actually have. Who knows? So the thing to look at when we're, when we're talking about this messy middle is uh, simply that there's a lot at stake. There's a lot at stake for coming up with a new way of looking at things. A new, this disruptions happened to us. Circumstantially, things occurred <clears throat> that were outside of the control of anyone involved. Forget the arguments about countries um, forcing these things to happen to our population in a, in a way that was is very disruptive. Whether it's disruptive from the outside or not, disruption is disruption. And turning that disruption into a new way to work, a new way to not just survive but thrive, means that messy middle, that hybrid work. So I wanted to get that out there today and have a little discussion about that. Um, I haven't seen you in a, in a couple of weeks. I'm back in the saddle and, and ready to talk about all kinds of new subjects, including the crazy peak seasons we're running into on the transportation logistics side. Come see us as always on our YouTube channel. 
Jaws Bites. We'll find that J-O-Z-B-Y-T-E-S. You'll, you'll find that a whole bunch of different uh, videos that you can look over. Some of our old ones are great and are actually <clears throat> more applicable now than they were actually back then. So come see us. Get on one of our, our audio platforms and listen to us on Anchor FM, on Spotify, on Apple, all those kinds of things. And of course, as always, come to www.ilevelogistics.com. See our aggregated, curated website. See our specialty information with, with uh, articles about uh, industry indicators that we have usually once a week. Our daily is incredible. It just Come join us and be part of the part of the way we're expecting to move transportation logistics supply chain out of the shadows and into a more prominent position where it should be in terms of our our uh, video uh, our view of of where we're at in life today. Thanks so much, and I'll see you real soon.